You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Here we are day after Florida defeats Kentucky 34 to 10. Joining me are Nick DeLatore and Graham Hall. Nick DeLatore with Gator Country, Graham Hall with the Gainesville Sun. Gentlemen, uh, another ho-hum performance uh muller didn't say ho-hum this time but i think uh, we'll, we'll put the words in his mouth uh for him this time two weeks in a row another ho-hum performance but uh i think we pretty much knew after halftime the game was never really in doubt it's such a weird thing with with some of these gator games like like you said the game was never in doubt but like Ford just doesn't put teams away um and i can see how that's frustrating as a fan um, as a writer, I would like them to put teams away because I can get my stories done at halftime <laughs> and get home a little earlier. But um, I can definitely see how that's frustrating as a fan. It's just you should be able to put Kentucky away. Terry Wilson's arm does not scare you. You should just you should have been able to settle against the run, stop the run. And Florida's defensive line came out of the gates playing hot, um, played really well all game long. So yeah, just kind of ho hum, and 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 I get the whole. People being mad because you want to pad the stats and you probably could have with Kyle and you don't. Um, but I, I can make the argument. I mean, how many touchdown passes does Kyle have now? 34, 33? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like Mullins yeah. called plays to give him, you know, the second most touchdown passes for a Division one quarterback ever. So, like, yeah, he's helped pad those stats. But I mean, you, you could have picked up probably, you know, at least two more yesterday. Yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, Graham, your short initial thought before we dive in. I, I mean, it's got to be frustrating for Florida fans to have Terry Wilson and Kentucky keep doing this, in a sense. Because it's one thing if you're going up there to Oxford and you're playing an Ole Miss team that, you know, new coach, and they put up 35 points on you, make your defense look a little bit silly, or Kellen Mond kind of having, I don't want to say the game of his life, but after last night, I think it certainly begs the question that what is Florida, you know, doing against these guys these quarterbacks how are they scouting them because when it comes to terry wilson he's not doing too much different of what he did last year and this isn't the kentucky of old you you no longer are sleeping on kentucky and this is what three straight years now a loss florida trailing before kyle trask comes in and and now this game where they're down 10-7 initially where it's just kind of like why is this happening And, and i certainly feel that mentality right now all right we'll get in uh we'll get in to it right here but before we do remember you can find gators breakdown news4jacks.com slash gators breakdown you'll find all the episodes there as well as news for jacks coverage of the gators please share rate and review the show on youtube hit that like button hit that subscribe button really helps us out here or if you just want the audio version check us out on your favorite podcast platform follow gators breakdown on social media we're on twitter and facebook at gators breakdown and guys it was the the, the first headline of the game not hard at all. The first major storyline, not hard at all. Kyle to Kyle <laughs> from the get-go. First drive of the game. Gators take a punt from their own 25. Two plays later, Kyle to Kyle. Clean pocket. Safety shifts to, to the other side of the field. Cornerback Garden Pitts uh, gets faked to the outside. Pitts turns back to the middle. Pretty simple 56-yard pitch and catch for the Gators' first touchdown. Pitts will go on to have five catches, 99 yards, and three touchdowns in his return. 11 touchdowns on the season. Leads the country for tight ends there. Guys, he hasn't played in two and a half games. Little practice time, and he hasn't missed a beat. <laughs> no, I don't know what I, I, I don't know what uh, Kentucky was thinking, um, even mentioning Kyle Pitts' name. Uh, and I, I'm sure they were asked specifically about Kyle Pitts, but uh, it did not work out well for, for Mr. Weaver. Uh, um 
Yeah, I mean, Kyle. To me, the most impressive, uh, to mo- the most impressive touchdown is running away from from Kelvin Joseph, a former you know LSU commit, four star cornerback, literally just beating him in a foot race. Uh, and we're talking about a six foot four, two hundred and fifty pound alien, um, you know, outrunning a cornerback um, and, and a quarterback who was playing really good coming into the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, not running away from CJ McWilliams. He's running away from a really from a really good cornerback. So. Um, yeah, Kyle Pitts, I mean, I, not going to win like the Heisman, but I, I saw a bunch of national people yesterday saying like Kyle Trask isn't the best player on Florida's team. It's like, yeah, man, no one's argued that, <laughs> but he's the quarterback and, and he's also having, you know, uh, a record breaking season, but yeah, Kyle Pitts is the best player on Florida's team. And, and that's not up for debate. I don't think anyone has anyone that, you know, anyone listening to us right now, that's not a question in their mind. So I was kind of like looking at yesterday on Twitter. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Like who's, who brought that up? Yeah. Graham. And that's not a shot at Trask at all. That's just how good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely not. And this is a guy who people have still been trying to nitpick his play in a sense and say, Oh, he he doesn't block. I mean, the guy's got a, what a 77 run block rate on, on PFF. I mean, he checks every single box. He studied Travis Kelsey, Kittle in the offseason to improve his blocking. I mean, he's answered every single question mark. And, and as your point about Kelvin Joseph, how many of these guys do you talk to that they talk about recruiting rankings? And you go back to Kelvin Joseph, a guy who was a former five-star guy, finishes a top 50 prospect in the same class as Kyle Pitts. And, and like you said, has really been starting to play well as of late. And, and it wasn't just Weaver. Let, let's not leave Joseph out of it. You know, he quote tweeted that Kel that Kyle Pitts tweet Kelvin Joseph did earlier in the week with that Kentucky chain gang symbol implying that they were going to lock them up and Kyle Pitts acknowledged Nick you were there in the post game press conference Dave you saw it you know Kyle Pitts acknowledged that he doesn't need any extra fuel to the fire but they gave him some anyway it makes no sense to me it's on par with no offense Florida fans shushing Felipe Franks you just know there's no point in doing it because it can come back to bite you. And Kyle Pitts loves man coverage. He loves man coverage more than I like a good Cuban sandwich. <laughs> and you can, and you can tell Pitts too, like those touchdowns he scored, he had something to say. He had something to say to those Kentucky defenders. And look, a lot of his celebrations have been after touchdowns of you know him having fun dancing or, or he celebrate with teammates. I think he did take this one a bit personal. His first game, yeah, his first game celebrations back, were, yeah. These celebrations were a little different. It was it wasn't, you know, the dance at Texas AM. It was where where is that guy? No, I saw I saw it on Twitter what you said. Where are you right now? Let me find you. Didn't he say uh, also after the game that uh Mullen to- or the refs told Mullen that uh he better calm it down a little bit? Yeah, it was after the second touchdown, the little, you know, the little rock by baby. Um, yeah, I think that that was the one. Because I mean that was Weaver, you know, sacks trash, but hits him in the face mask and then celebrates. I'm like, you're celebrating. That was a sack on third down that you turned into a first down for Florida, and you're and over you here knew celebrating. You the, and you knew you hit him in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you hit him so hard in the face, you would have gotten arrested if you would have done that, you know, on the street, and, and you're over here celebrating it. So Kyle immediately was just like, hey, this is when you actually should do this celebration. I'll show you, I'll show you what's up in the celebrate. The locking down of celebrations is one of the saddest things to me right now that the NFL has done. It's on par with – the NBA it's worse than the NBA dress code and all that stuff I don't know if this is kind of a side note but Anthony Edwards the number one pick in the most recent NBA draft kind of scared off teams from taking him because he said if he could play in the NFL he'd play right now and asked why he said because they get to dance they get to show off they get to celebrate you have Kyle Pitts getting told it to kind of just lay off these guys that he's embarrassing on national television and I wish that he had a chance to, you know, rock the baby until they're crying like it on the sidelines. And it kind of just makes me upset that it, it, the refs tell the head coach, hey, make this guy calm down. This is this is unfair because they were talking trash on social media throughout the week. So why can't they do it when the actual game <laughs> comes down to it? I don't understand that. I hate that. I hate that. I guess the, the sportsmanship side of things, I guess. But, uh Yeah. Yeah, the emotion is going to play a part. Emotion is going to play a part. Uh, guys, he brought it up, you know, the hit on Trask there. But Trask, uh, here we go. I mean, a pretty good performance as much as Florida had the ball. Uh, and then uh, and then dialing it down a bit in the second half uh, for the Gators. 21-27, 256 yards, three touchdowns, all of those to Kyle Pitts. No interceptions. Uh, saw the performance for the quarterback in the day. The offense didn't look fully in sync uh, in, in finishing drives. 
plenty of times Trask had to escape pressure or, or pressured wind throwing, uh, but only you know, five completions even with all of that. Nine players caught passes with Naquan Wright and Pierce having nine of those. It did seem like Kentucky – you know, forced Trask to settle for some check downs uh, down to the backs, uh, and that was due to good pressure or good coverage by the Wildcats here. Uh, and we'll get into it, Boris. But as as for as much as Florida had the ball, especially in the first half, another solid performance by the quarterback. Yeah, it's just a you know a, a, a ho hum <laughs> performance where you throw three touchdowns and two hundred fifty six yards. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's his first non 300 yard game this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, 21, 21, 27, 256. Dan Mullen said he was a lot of quarterbacks, you know, would be jumping up and down for that. And a lot of quarterbacks that played for Florida in the past 10 years would be jumping up and down for that. Um, it, it's just so weird how quickly your expectations can be skewed. Cause now we're talking about if Kyle Trask had come out and done that against Ole Miss and, and you didn't have, you know, what he'd done this season, you know, to, to skew your frame of reference, you'd be really happy with that day for, for Kyle Trask. You're like, yeah, good game. But now after, you know, he's thrown for six touchdowns in two different games, you look at that and you're like, Mullen's holding him back. And it's just like, no, oh, that was just a good game. And I mean, there were, there were a couple of plays where Kentucky literally dropped nine and, and rushed <laughs> with two. And thanks to Gene DeLance got pressure while only rushing two. Um, but it's tough. It's tough to, you know, pick apart your defense when they're dropping seven, eight guys in coverage and and you have to, you know, then you you have to check down. I mean, there was the one drive where I think three or four straight passes, you know, check down to Naquan Wright. You see, this is nothing new to me. This is absolutely nothing new to me because even going back to last season, when Kyle Trask entered and replaced of Felipe Franks, people were trying to, take away from his performances late in the season. You have him passing, setting a new career high over, over 300 plus passing yards. That was higher than Felipe Franks ever was at Florida. You had him breaking all these records and people still were, I think hesitant to get on board and say, Oh, this guy is really this prolific of a quarterback or, you know, they quickly said, Oh, it's Dan Mullen's offensive system. Look at him being a quarterback whisperer every step of the way, every record that Kyle Trask has, broken set new milestone people have kind of had that hotel mentality and you know not to kind of take away from the shtick here in a sense but florida in their press notes you guys know this put ho-hum in quotes describing Kyle <laughs> trust's performance i hate to you know take away the originality of the joke in a sense but florida is embracing kind of that i i, I guess would be the word but they are aware breaking the fourth wall cognizant of the fact that people are repeatedly finding ways to criticize Kyle Trask's performances, say that, oh, it wasn't good enough, say he left in the fourth quarter, that he could have done more. When you take it and put it in context, it's incredibly, incredibly impressive, yet you still have this disconnect, I'll say. And, Nick, you noted this on social media because you asked Dan Mullen this after the game. You said you gave him a chance to go up there and prop his quarterback up there and say, look what he's doing, everybody. Why are you not taking notice? Why are you not giving him the respect that his numbers seem to command? And Dan Mullen has also been hesitant to do that. I don't know whether he is aware or consciously embracing this, uh, oh, let's not give Kyle Trask the full credit or whatever or prop him up or push him in that position to be taking full credit for Florida's offense and the numbers. But Dan Mullen also is not out there stamping for him as saying this should be a guy in the Heisman Trophy consideration. Last thing I'm going to say is for all the flack that Brian Kelly gets at Notre Dame, you know, that team is 7-0, and and there was an article last week in USA Today that didn't list their quarterback as one of the top 10. It had De'Aaron King at Miami above him, and, and nothing taken away from him, but Ian Book, I think, is easily one of the top 10 quarterbacks. You had Brian mm-hmm. Kelly going out there in the postgame after their victory and saying, that guy doesn't deserve to write about college football if they don't think he's a top 10 quarterback, you have him defending them in a post-game press conference. And I think that I'm not saying that Dan Mullen should go out there and attack every single journalist in the world who isn't given Kyle Trask the respect. But I think that Dan Mullen also should play a role where he comes out there and says, this guy is clearing away the number one. He should be the Heisman Trophy candidate. Our offense wouldn't be as prolific without him. Start putting the respect on his name. 
Hey, Nick. Yeah, and I, Nick, lob, I lobbed it up to Mullen. Yeah, Nick, there you go. I was going to say, and fans have noticed that too. You know, fans it have noticed, hey, where, where, that. where's it the. It's easier where, than the way you asked him that. And right, the fact right. that he kind of just. And, but that's also Dan Mullen in a sense. And I wrote mm-hmm. about this when it came to him talking about the special teams. Even when he's praising the heck out of Kadarius Tony, Jacob Finn, the fake punt to Damian Pierce, he's going to have to go in there and mention that Evan McPherson missed a field goal, the most accurate place kicker in, in Florida history. He's going to have to mention the downsides. This is a guy that is not going to go out there and tell you the glass is half full, even if it's 60% filled up. It's just how it yeah, is. Yeah, I think, I think the negatives just stick out in his mind more, and maybe that's what makes him a good coach, um, is that you know he hates losing more than he likes winning, so those negatives stick out. To me, it was, it was so easy with Jim McElwain. If, <clears throat> if Luke Del Rio had a great game, you knew that Jim McElwain was going to kind of dog him in, in the post-game media. And if he had a terrible game, if Luke Del Rio had like three three interceptions, um, Jim was going to go out there and defend him. It was almost like a protect your quarterback when they have a bad game, but like keep him level-headed when they have a good game. I just don't – I don't know. Like it was easy to figure out with 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 Mac. I don't, I don't know where Mullen falls because I literally asked him, does Kyle Trask deserve to be in the Heisman race? And he was like, ah, you know – well, if we keep winning games, then those guys will win individual awards. And I'm like, bro, just say that I have a really good quarterback who is having an incredible season and deserves to be in the Heisman talk. Like, I couldn't have made it any <laughs> easier for you. I, I, I came to you with a prepared statement. Just need you to sign it. That's all I need you to do. <laughs> and you're like, ah, here's a paw print. And I'm like, what that? No, what are you doing? <laughs> Fans are noticing it too. Uh, you know, I have seen on social media and all that stuff. Like, hey, where's the where's the the Heisman love from Florida? The program of you know hype it up and maybe twenty twenty is different in, in in that regard. You know, I guess you know you're not, you're not mailing out flyers and stuff, or you know, even on social media, certain graphics that shift towards Heisman talk or whatever. You know, we have, we have not seen a whole lot of it. And uh, yeah, Nick, as you said, you, you you had your chance and to, to or you gave the chance to to Mullen to to prop it up and. Houston, yeah. Houston, a couple of years back, sent out Ed Oliver um, <laughs> riding a horse bobbleheads. Like, give me Kyle a Kyle Trask bobblehead. I'll put it right next to Lane Kiffin back there. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, guys, here we go. Uh, rest of the offense, run game. You know, play calling favored that in the second half. You could tell Florida wanted to work on it. Uh, Florida had 15 pass attempts in the first half. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, Kentucky controlled we'll get into that in just a second but kentucky controlled almost the entire first half here florida had 15 pass attempts in the first half compared to six rush attempts of course not many plays at all second half florida had 19 rush attempts on to 17 pass attempts game getting out of hand certainly had something to do with that too uh pierce eight carries 67 yards 8.4 yards a carry had a 38 yard run but Malik davis only averaged 2.6 yards a carry right two point uh two and a half yards a carry so you know, besides Pierce's long run, the, th- the 38 yard run, all the steps I think we saw this offensive line take, you know, maybe the first half of the season, the Georgia game as well, had really good run performance in that game. I thought, you know, I said before the game, you know, you want to see him take advantage of the just the situation, play situational football. If you need some short yardage runs, be able to do that. Uh, but, you know, I think all in all, besides the, the long run, just the, I, mean, I guess if we want to use ho hum. Um, oh, home for the, for, for the run game performance there. Uh, and that one without quotations, I guess. <laughs> I mean, the first, the first half Kentucky just dominated in terms of holding on to the ball, you know, 23, 23 minutes and 23 seconds to Florida six thirty seven. I mean, Florida just wasn't even, you know, even, even though they, they go into half up 14, 10, thanks to that, you know, Darius Tony punt return. Um, they just, couldn't get off the field. And it wasn't like Kentucky was like wasting time either. Kentucky was going fast. And, and I don't know if we've talked about that. Um, I think we did talk about it last week is like, that's what teams need to do because Florida can't line up defensively. Um, so you need to run fast. And we saw it again yesterday, um, but kind of a tale of two halves, uh, at least in my mind for the defense or actually not even halves, not even a tale of two halves. The defense, as soon as Todd got, you know, his talking to on the sideline, defense was great. I mean, and we're sitting here dogging the defense. They gave up 10 points and yeah, held we'll, Kentucky. We'll, definitely get into that. Half. Yep. You go ahead, Graham. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, certainly one of those things that's overblown. You know, I, I, I was one of those guys in the first 20 minutes, because like you say, Nick, it wasn't just that, you know, they were wasting time. I think it was 31 rushing attempts in the first half by the Wildcats. You know, they were establishing their offense. And, and the most frustrating part when you're watching the game is that this should be a given that this is what they're going to do. They did it last year. They established the run. They have a running quarterback. They use extra blockers. And I don't know if Florida thought that it was because they were missing their leading rusher in, in Rodriguez that they were going to suddenly be, you know, become this team that was going to look to establish the passing game in the middle of the field. But that just seems what's the most hair-pulling thing is that it's not that they are beating you in creative ways or that Terry Wilson's you know, running a play action fade and, and, you know, you know, beating guys in busted coverages, that's, they were beating weight teams the way that they, the only way that they were going to be able to. And you watch Alabama, that first drive against Kentucky, you know, maybe four or five bad plays there, but they keep the Wildcats out of the end zone and they never give them a chance to establish their offense the rest of the game. Florida just doesn't do that. It, it, it's kind of the same frustrating mentality that also plays into why they won't just put teams away at the end. You just kind of wait for them to end the game. They, they, they like look forward to playing in the second and third quarters and the rest of the times are either feel out or development period. And in this year, and I say this all the time where the competition fields already slim and you already have potential Heisman candidates who are going to miss games and their season's, may get canceled, look at Ohio State, you know, Clemson losing that FSU game. This is a year where Florida should be advantageous and should go out there and go for the throat, whether it's in propping up Kyle Trask as a hand Heisman candidate, running the marketing campaign, going out there in the media and saying no respect because, you know, how many times has this Florida team in the past half decade played the we get no respect card? And when the one time they actually be able to maximize that in a sense – they're not really doing it. And you add in that the defense was one of the few certain things in the last few years when Florida had no offense. I say last few years, but the last decade when Florida had no offense. And now that dissipates when you've got the recruiting rankings up and you've got everything else figured out, special teams, offense. I think those, that's the context in, in this equation. That That's why everything is magnified and more frustrating. Even when you put it into context, Florida's down three points or they come back and win by 20 plus and people are still focusing on the first quarter negatives because it's the context. And I think a lot of people miss that when they say, well, well, you know, they won by 24 because the context is going to matter when they get to Atlanta. Yeah. We'll get into that detail here, right here. You know, getters have been a great second quarter team all year. They give up some yards at Kentucky early, but made them punt twice. Uh, but it was second quarter, kind of where you we can kind of merge the offense and defense uh, a, a bit here. You know, you start the quarter, a fumble by Justin Shorter on a screen pass. And, you know, this is, you know, we can transition to defense a bit here in the second quarter. But this was an issue on both sides of the ball, the second quarter. You know, turnovers, a four-play drive that ended in a punt on the offense, and then the defense responding with issues we've seen all, all season, kind of going to Graham's point here, uh, that led to a dominant time of possession by, you know, quarter by the Wildcats here, helping keep the Florida offense on the sideline. And Florida defense started the game by forcing two Kentucky punts on the first two drives, but they were able to eat, you know, time of, you know, eat clock on those possessions as well, even though they didn't score. Uh, but the offense shoulders some of the blame here for letting Kentucky start their their first scoring drive uh, at the Florida 38 yard line. Field, great field goal or great, great field position for the Wildcats, at least to the Kentucky uh, first touchdown to tie the game at seven. Six plays, 38 yards, but three and a half minutes in, in for, for six plays there. You know, Florida's offense then goes out in four plays, gives Kentucky the ball right back. You know, early on, including this drive, and we see the issues that plagued this defense for most of the season, not lining up, playing soft coverage, not tackling. Uh, also on this drive, playing man defense on a third and long, letting Terry Wilson have an easy conversion with his legs. Uh, so, guys, it, it led to probably the biggest headline uh, of the game, uh, led to the, the shouting of one Dan Mullen to Todd Grantham about the defense's performance. And then, you know, Wildcats finished off that drive with a field goal to take a 10-7 lead, on a 14-play, 87-yard drive that took 7:24 off the clock there in the second quarter. 
Kentucky had 120 yard to 68 yard edge over Florida in the second quarter. 23 plays to Florida's 11. Kentucky had 17 rush attempts for 94 yards, holding a 12 minute and t- uh, 12 minute and 10 second time of possession there in the quarter. They responded well after that. The Florida defense did. We'll get into that, but this second quarter overall, offense and defense, you know, for that's far what we expect from Florida to see in that second quarter compared to what we've seen so far this season. Yeah, I mean, just look at Kentucky's drive. Six minutes and 33 seconds, 440, 333, 724, the one you just mentioned before, you know, they finally, you know, got their butts into gear. Um, I think obviously that's concerning. In my, in, my, in my mind, is Florida like fumbling it now yeah. more on offense and just kind of like, you know that you have to help your defense out. And it's probably the opposite of what it has been, but you know you have to help your defense out and you can't fumble the ball on your side of the field. And I feel like Florida's starting to do that uh, a little more frequently. Um, the, the, the frustrating part is that Kentucky makes themselves one-dimensional. Yeah. And you knew that coming in. And it's just like, why can't you get lined up? Why can't you just like to, – to me, you look at the athletes that you have and, and I know everyone wants to dog Marco um, or dog Sean Davis, who got an interception, um, throw it right at him. Um, but, like, you should have had the athletes just to line up man um, yep. and sell out against the run. And, and I think Florida kind of figured it out eventually. Um, but this is a game where you probably could have shut Kentucky out, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll go go back to the previous previous performance for for Kentucky the week before. You know, they moved the ball versus Alabama early on. But, you know, Bama settled down much like this game. They settled down and just completely shut Kentucky down the rest of the game. So it was kind of a trend for Kentucky two weeks in a row. But, Graham, you can extend the thought here. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm well, glad also, also they're they're uh, they're down men, so like they're not yeah. they're not subbing. You know, you're going to get tired. I mean, they were down 18 players yesterday, so you're going to get tired and worn down by the end of the game versus yeah. you know, a full a, a, a team of Florida that's playing with a full deck. Yeah, I think that's also, you know, I, I keep saying the word context, but that's also what goes into it. I mean, this is a team that was missing, like I said, not only their leading rusher, but 18 guys throughout the week. You know, you get we got Mark Stoops up. That was actually pretty funny how that happened. You get Mark Stoops on the teleconference on Wednesday, and he says, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're going down there. And then later that night, it's, oh, 28 positives between our assistants and our coaches. And then you find out in warm-ups that the leading rusher is not going to be there. And you would still think this is an opportunity to attack the quarterback and, and make them beat you. And the fact that they weren't doing that just made no sense. And add in that, that they were able to play quickly and establish an, a quick tempo, despite not really having the bodies to do that it has to be frustrating. You, you go back to the quarter you were mentioning Florida pins them at the eight yard line. Yeah. And they rattle off this drive where they're, you know, they get down to the five yard line. And have to settle for that, what, 20-something yard field goal. And drives like that are so demoralizing for your defense. If Florida's defense didn't respond several drives later by getting that stop when Finn backed him up to the one-yard line and then the, the Tony punt return with the decoy with Henderson. Oh, boy. You know, we need a whole segment on that punt. <laughs> but, but it showed, you know, Florida fans, I, I say this all the time, of course, you know, they're not spoiled, but they do have high standards. And – when you back up a team twice on punts inside your own 10-yard line, it's satisfying when you do it, absolutely, and you scored a defensive or special teams touchdown. But when earlier you, you let the team go all the way down the field, establish a seven-minute drive, it does beg the question, well, why can't you do that every single time against a team that is backed up in their own end zone and can't pass the ball? It's certainly frustrating to see Florida not capitalize on all those other opportunities but you you do have to give them credit when they do. Um, you, you just wonder if that's going to be one of those things that is going to matter in one score, two score games, which we've already seen this season. Yeah, guys, and what, what kind of what I want to throw up, you know, and I know it can be considered nitpicking or whatever, but I think you can't really say that right now when you saw how frustrated Dan Mullen was and when he goes after Grantham on the sideline that like like that because. You could tell he was not happy with what was going on and what was happening out there because, you know, it was very predictable play calling by Kentucky. You knew what they were doing. You knew what they were going to come into this game doing. 
and they still had that that like the long drive and like as I said, getting mixed up, not lining up, maybe certain players not out there that need to be out there. And you know, I I, I would I think on the surface we know why Dan Mullen was frustrated because the fans were frustrated at the same time of just letting chunk you know chunk chunk run plays happen over and over again. But why did they happen? I want I would love to know why what Mullen was saying, you know, why is it so-and-so out there? Or why are you playing man on third and long? Or why is see, it, you know, this and that? So. See, I, I, think, I think that's a conspiracy theory. I think <laughs> what the yelling was is Grantham wanted to accept the penalty, the holding penalty, push them back, uh. and, and possibly get a sack. And Mullen's like, no, you're an idiot. They call you third and Grantham for a reason. <laughs> we're declining the penalty, and we're going to let them kick the field goal. I think that's what the whole thing was about. And everyone probably wants it because they wanted Todd to get yelled at well, no, I, season. Saw I was but looking I think at that's, I think that's what the argument was about. I think Todd wanted to accept the penalty, possibly get a sack and push him out of field goal range. Man, um, I think that might have been part of it, Nick, but the there was I think the reverse to the Kentucky receiver that went for a long game. And I went straight to Mullen right there with with, with the binoculars, and he was already on Grantham right then. So, but then we see on TV, it gets 10 times worse. So I think, uh, I think it was a culmination of just that whole drive and the frustration. It just got unleashed. And, and Todd reminded me of me, like me in high school and like, you're getting yelled at and you just have to like <laughs> mumble under your breath. You're like, I got the last word. And it's just like, you're not going to get the last word. Mom is going to hear you mumble and you're going to hear, you're going to get 10 more minutes of yelling. I am, you know, one, Dave, you just made Nick spill all the water that he was carrying for, for Dan Mullen all over his <laughs> house. That, that's really mean of you to do. But also, I'm of the belief, and people can disagree with this, that coaches, and I think Mullen has proven this, had their assistant coaching staffs with people that they know are also coachable. will listen to them. will follow their system. You don't want to have an assistant coach on your staff who you're scared to yell at if you mm-hmm. feel like they aren't performing up to par. If you're a head coach, that's the last thing you want is to be afraid to go to your assistant coach and be like, your guys are stepping out of line. You want to be able to do that. And Florida is paying Todd Grantham enough <laughs> to warrant that type of behavior to say, this is what we believe you can do. You're not doing this. Why is this not happening? The pressure should be on you. And, and I think he's aware – of that position. You add in the fact that every single week, Todd Grantham does come and talk to the media and and he says, the scheme is complex. We're doing so-and-so-and-so young players. You've seen former players pinned on inexperience, but every single week you're seeing the same type of problems or you're seeing younger players come in and perform sometimes better than the starters in a sense. And I, and I, I know that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but you are seeing, success based on the personnel in there and based on the situation. Florida has shown an ability to get off the field on third down, to not make these mistakes. And so when they happen, I am the belief that coaches should be open to being coachable and told, listen, why is this not happening every single time? If you've shown that it can happen, you don't want a coach who's not coachable. And and I think that Todd Grantham is someone as beset in his ways as he is. And if you're a Florida fan, regardless of what it was about, it had to feel good to see Dan Mullen kind of voice similar frustrations in a sense, or at least have the same type of outward rage that fans are kind of feeling inwardly. Look, guys, coincidence or not, I thought the overall performance for the defense was pretty good. Uh, besides that, especially after that, um, the touchdown, as I said, came on a short field for Kentucky. Offense did uh, that Kentucky offense, as I said, very similar performance what they did versus Alabama uh, the last week. They just couldn't snap a ball, couldn't snap a field goal to save their life last week versus Alabama. Um, moved the ball early, couldn't sustain it. But, you know, it was complete domination after, after the chewing out there. Kentucky had 180 yards versus Florida in the first four drives. Punt, punt, touchdown, field goal. They produced 50 yards on seven drives after that, not counting the one play to, to end the first half with three interceptions. Kentucky's second half drives all ended. Punt. Interception, punt, turnover on downs, interception, interception. Florida got him in the situation of needing to to come back from behind. You put the second half together where the offense scored them points. So you knew the pressure was on Kentucky right there. That's what the game plan should have been. Get them, get them a little uncomfortable. Make them throw the ball. If they got to throw the ball, you're probably going to get some picks. And the Gators ended it with, uh, with, with three interceptions there. 
Yeah, I think I think I was just surprised. I mean, Florida comes out of the gate and, and scores a touchdown right away, but then obviously you know the fumble um, and and then two back to back punts. We you know one one was only a four play drive, I think. Um, so I thought a little bit of a slow start for for the offense, which I thought was, was mm-hmm. surprising to me. I thought the offense would would kind of just get going, and that's exactly what you wanted to create. Hey, Georgia, uh, Georgia. Kentucky can't throw the ball. Neither Kentucky can't throw the ball. If we get, if we come out and we score two touchdowns and we're up 14-0 in the first quarter, they're going to have to throw the ball and we force them into something that they can't do. And that's what you saw towards the end of the game when Kentucky ends with an interception, a punt, turnover on downs, interception, interception. If you could have, I mean, this could be a completely different game if the offense just comes out firing, you know, on all cylinders out of the gate. You, you could have gotten into a situation where you're in the third quarter playing Anthony Richardson. Um, so to me, it, it, you know, again, it's a, a three score win that we're sitting here kind of nitpicking and, um, and being, you know, negative to, to but um, yeah, I just wasn't, wasn't super impressed. And, and I think at some point these fumbles uh, and turnovers on offense are, are going to start, uh, you know, could cost you a game. And that game being the one you're going to play in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. Hey, Graham, man. I mean, I'm going to some specific players right here. You guys can jump on here with this. Slayton, Campbell up front. You both guys mentioned it, especially early on. This mm-hmm. defensive line, these defensive front really, really put some pressure on Kentucky. Had a really good game up front, I thought. Good pressure most overall most of the day. Brenton Cox gets another sacks, another sack. Mamu Diabate is getting better every week at that linebacker spot. James Houston returns. He plays well. Gators, you know, didn't give up explosives to a team that doesn't hit explosives, so de- you definitely want to see that. A team that Come on, Dave. Hit. Talk, hit, hit your point, Dave. Come on. You're talking about explosives now. What? What? My run? Your explosive run. <laughs> My explosive run. I finally got one. Uh, but even for Kentucky, you know, they, they're a team that doesn't produce explosives either, and the Florida defense didn't give it up. So, you know, I'll, I'll get some credit there. Look, we don't give enough credit sometimes for doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and so Kentucky can't hit explosives. You didn't give an explosive up. So good job there. Uh, welcome site. Um, but, you know, it's oh – yeah, I still want to see more in, in preparation for the rest of the season. I think that's kind of where everybody's pointing to right now. Credit to Florida coming out in the second half, playing a complete team game, kind of going to Nick's point there, putting it all together. And that's why you started putting up points and, and, and forcing Kentucky there. Offense started to score. Kentucky had to press. Uh, three interceptions for the defense on the day off Terry Wilson and Joey Gatewood. Two sacks on the day. Seven tackles for a loss. Two of 13 on third down for the Wildcats. All led to 10 points. Only 221 yards for Kentucky. 3.7 yards rushing. They're not They're not going to win a game with only 3.7 yards rushing. So, overall, you know, many may not want to admit it, but I think the defense, for the most part, did their job. Was it a rocky, was it rocky upstart? At the beginning of the game, yeah, but once again, nice bounce back. Now, nice bounce back with some adjustments. Yeah, obviously outside those two drives, you know, the one that we mentioned where they're backed up to the eight-yard line and nearly, you know, that I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think that's the one where Florida coach Dan Mullen did go in on Todd Grantham. Maybe it was the next one, uh, but that was around the time when Florida was looking shaky. I, I know, you know, we, we talk about them winning by 24 points, but – those drives going back when you haven't backed up inside their 10 yard line and you manage to give up third down conversion after third down conversion that, you know, I know they only got two in, in the entire game, but two of them coming in, in the first, what, 20 minutes of action, you let them establish the run when they were missing their leading rushers, like we said, and all the personnel, you know, the defense did do their job. Absolutely. But we do have to unfortunately talk about the mistakes but like you said, it could have been a situation if a few more things went right where Florida in the third quarter playing Emory Jones for extended drives, which I did think he looked really good throwing the football as well. So you have to give them credit for getting him in there to actually establish the flow of the offense. But, you know, say that pick six by Jaden Hill, Jaden Hill doesn't drop that interception and he's gone. This is a game where Florida could have just put it away sooner and you don't have to see this public yelling match whatever it was about between your 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 two highest paid coaches in, in the program necessarily that makes people come after you the day afterwards and say what's wrong here still stuff needs to get worked up are they really a top five team if they're you know head coach and defensive coordinator are going after each other 
And it does kind of just take away from overall the point, which is that Florida won by more than three touchdowns and, and did it kind of in all phases of the game, even if at times there were some troughs before the crest. I, I will say your point about Diabate, you know, that's a guy who I've said this, I think last week, people were nitpicking and criticizing the cross training of guys and the early performances of some of the defensive line guys who were missing, you know, Kyrie Campbell. And we're still waiting on guys like Gervin Dexter to really get their, their feet wet in the program and, and establish their presences. And now that we've seen it, who should be surprised that a guy like Diabate is making plays all over the field, elite closing speed, and, and only going to get even better uh, as, as Florida's defense continues to improve as long as they do continue to improve. Yeah, that's also there. Let's get into some tweets here. We'll, we'll be able to get into some more specifics here of uh, what our listeners think here. So Jake uh, at Jake DeMoss uh, seems to have a little bit of uh, seems to have lost a little bit of hunger since beating the pups in Jacksonville. That being said, great second half for the defense. Offense is still rolling. All comes down to handling business the next two weeks for the big one in Atlanta. Also love seeing Moen rip Grantham. Kind of similar thought here, guys. Prince Akeem says, it's weird how we play to the level of our competition. It means we aren't there yet, but it doesn't mean we can't beat Alabama. It just means we aren't a machine like that yet. See Clemson yesterday. So kind of similar thoughts there, guys, of kind of maybe playing down to the competition, maybe losing from some fire a little bit after getting that Georgia win. And, I mean, I think you can see it a, a bit that there's probably some truth to that, but Mullen has even said it. We've kind of put out there what we want to see from this team. It's go out there to play a complete game. Get better. Build to that performance. Peak when you go to Atlanta. Florida's nowhere near peaking right now. No. Um, and my Goodness, Alabama's a yeah. problem. Um, <laughs> watching them play um, yesterday in, in the Iron Bowl, and I mean, that was not even competitive. Um, I don't know what the answers are for Devonta Smith um, <laughs> or, or Najee Harris. I don't know if there are answers. Um, but yeah, Florida hasn't played a complete game yet. And you can probably say that for, mm-hmm. for a lot of teams that haven't, you know, Nick Saban might say that about his Alabama team. And I look at them and I'm like, they're a machine. Um, I, I don't know if Florida is, you know, every, they say all the right things. And, hey, our goal coming into the season wasn't to beat um, Georgia. You know, it's not like, hey, we only had one goal and it was to beat Georgia and, and now we're done with the season. Their goal, and they've talked about it since the beginning. I mean, we were in the Orange Bowl locker room last year and players were telling us, yeah, can't wait to be back here next year. And I'm like, oh, the national, they're playing the national championship here. Like they're not really doing just the Orange Bowl. And they're like, yeah. No, that's the game. That's the game that we're going to be here for. And I'm like, oh, okay. So th- and then they, they probably don't a- pick up, and they probably don't pick up that on their own. That probably comes from the staff a yeah. bit too. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if the players are going and looking to. You right. Know, uh, <laughs> hey, where's where's the college football playoff going to exactly. be in 2020? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's a a coach message, but that's been the goal. So the but to that, them saying, you know. Uh, our goal wasn't only to beat Georgia. It, I do agree with your point. Like you have had some letdown since you beat Georgia. And maybe it's, I can get it if it's one week and it's okay. It's Vanderbilt and it's 11 a.m. Yeah. local. And we had to get dressed in the hotel. And if those are things and you can say they're excuses or whatever, but to then come out and, and kind of have another, you know, uh, laissez faire performance against Kentucky, at least a slow start. Um, now I'm starting to, you know, not believe that, okay, you know, we weren't only focused on Georgia. Let me, let me throw out a quick scenario for you guys. Okay. Because I got to get your take on this. This is something I couldn't help but think of. Okay. Alabama was methodical in the iron bowl. No drop off with their head coach sitting in his loft at home with COVID-19. If Dan Mullen misses a game for Florida, say he missed this Kentucky game, who is yelling at Todd Grantham to get the defense fixed? The 14,000 people in the stands? <laughs> you know, in, in seriousness, I do think that this is a situation where Florida is extremely reliant on Dan Mullen to steer the ship, so to sense. That is where you could really define the drop-off in the Florida program right now and the Alabama program. Nick Saban has built that program up so well that he can leave a game 
yell at his TV in his upstairs loft while his wife cheers downstairs, and they're still beating the pants off their number one rival. Florida's not there yet. And that's no disrespect because I think this coaching staff is obviously miles better than we've seen in the last decade, going back to the Urban Meyer era. But there still is a difference in the two programs right now. I fully trust Tim Brewster or Brian Johnson to run Florida's offense absolutely with little drop-off, if any drop-off, if Dan Mullen were possibly sidelined for any situation. But are they yelling at Todd Grantham? You guys, could you guys see that? <laughs> is Brian Johnson going up to Todd Grantham and saying, Todd, Christmas lights. It's just not happening. You're not getting that type of reaction. And then it's be entirely on Todd Grantham to make those second half changes that we saw out there. And I want to. I'm, 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 I'm breaking a rule and getting Mullen on a cell phone at halftime. I wonder I wonder if Nick Saban was even watching like the third quarter of the Iron Bowl. He's like, all right, well, we, this, this one, this one's done. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, Miss Terry, you want to go out to dinner? No, he was yelling the entire time. He said, he said he was the post game quotes. He, he spoke with the media and said he was yelling the entire time. And I am absolutely sure if Florida's down 10, seven and Dan Mullen's not there, that he's either headed to the hospital with cardiac arrest or he's hopping on zoom or FaceTime and screaming at Todd Grantham through the cell phone. I, I just don't know if Florida's program right there is at the place where their head coach can be away from the game and there's no drop-off because we have seen them at full strength coaching staff-wise have these still drop, drop-offs. drop Let's call it just that. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, everybody keeps pointing to, you know, will this work or, or never mind, not, not like that. This won't work versus Alabama. Well, okay, we know that. We, Florida knows that, you know, and now the goal is to, you know, use these next few weeks uh, to get better. You don't have to be Alabama yesterday. You don't have to be Alabama tomorrow. You got to be Alabama in three weeks. That's, you know, kind of where it is. I know it doesn't look good at the moment. Doesn't look good at the time on Sunday, November 29th, but there's still you know, some time. You know, to that point real quick, there are people out there, and this is going to get tough in the next few weeks, who are going to make the case that Ohio State deserves to make the college football playoff if they're 7-0, 6-0, who knows if that Michigan State game is going to happen with Ryan Day diagnosed with COVID and all the rules there and it raging in Columbus. There are going to be people saying that that Ohio State team is good enough right now on paper, what they've shown through seven games, to possibly be put in the college football playoff, which is such a disconnect with every statement that every single head coach makes when you ask them through game seven, game eight, what their team is at. Well, we don't want to peak this early. We, don't, we want to peak week 12. There's 15 opportunities. We only played seven games. Why would we? We're halfway. We're not even halfway through the season. You get all these type of coach speak lines every single year. So it's just such a disconnect between a team that's seven and zero, like Notre Dame or Ohio State, right now, saying, "Oh, we're we're good enough to be in the college football playoff," but yet you have a team down here in Gainesville that's saying, "Well, we don't want to have peaked just yet. We don't want to have played our best football yet." They're defensive statements either way you put them. Yeah, I can see that. We'll get into here. Ryan S. got Go Gators for Life says defense finally showed up after halftime. I'm a little concerned that the offense is uh, regressing a bit since Arkansas offensive line has has had its worst two games the past two weeks. I'll agree with that. Uh, Looks like we're not. Looks like we're trying to coast to the finish line. I don't think it's a switch we can turn on versus Bama. I'm a big believer in that. You don't just turn. Uh, you just don't flip a switch uh, when you know you don't go to practice hard the week before Alabama. If you don't practice hard the week before Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and then all of a sudden turn it on, uh, you can go out there and have a better performance because you're you're you know you, you are hyped up. Like being hyped up to play a game uh, is better, but you know you're also playing a much better opponent who's also going to be hyped at the same time. And um, uh, O line has had its worst two games the past two weeks. I'll, I'll agree with that too. I think the the right side of the line has is kind of getting circled, kind of getting pinpointed uh, a bit right now. Nick, you brought it up earlier. Kentucky's at times only rushing two and still getting into the backfield. Uh, Trask, you know, uh, you know, uh, on him again, he steps up uh, to avoid some pressure, make some throws. He's helping out this offensive line, helping out this right side of the offensive right. line uh, right now. But uh, it, it is two weeks in a row, and I, I do I do agree with Ryan that this is the worst offensive line performance we have seen in the last two weeks. I just don't know. I, I, I don't like bringing it up because I don't I don't like bringing up problems if I don't have a solution and I don't know what the solution is. I just know that 
Um, and, and, I, and I'm not trying to take a personal shots at the kid, but I, Gene DeLance is not getting the job done at right tackle. And, and I wrote it last night. I was like, if that's your right tackle against Alabama, you're going to have issues. But I don't know what you do. Do you slide Stuart Reese to tackle because he's had experience? You don't want to have two freshmen. You're, like, you're not going to say, like, hey, Josh uh, Braun, you know, I know we've only had you at guard, but can you play right tackle and then put Ethan White? You don't want, a, a, you know, the entire right side of your line to be a redshirt freshman and a true freshman. So yeah, Tar- I just Tarquin's, don't know. Tarquin's been there a bit too, a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and I don't think I don't think the answer is moving Richard Garage to, to, to a tackle. I've seen him play left tackle, and he's not a better option than Stone Force Seth right now. Um, and I don't know if he'd play well at right tackle. So I just don't know what the answer is. And if they've stuck with – this five, then I tend to think, okay, that's probably your best option at tackle. And maybe they don't think Stuart Reese can play tackle. Um, so, I, so I, it, it's a problem. I just don't have the solution. Um, I'm also not making six million dollars to to figure that stuff out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's above our pay grade. And I said last week, I'm just going to leave it at this. That, and people, you know, Dave, you saw me respond to some people and. <laughs> Shout out, shout out Darius. That's, that's my guy. But, you know, I was not trying to jump the gun last week and say solely this guy is responsible, even though when you watch the film. I just don't know if there's a better option right now. But I think I think where the fan base comes from is don't you at least have to try. But that's what practice. Yeah. Is. So, yeah. So I what, mean, you know, that's what practice is for. We had practices. That's let's let's let me say, you know, this is a peculiar year in August. You had. You would have your offensive line out. And when Florida was trying to resume after Texas A&M, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to like – they looked at other options. You know, John Hevesy sits there and sees comments on social media, I'm sure, and, and when someone is like, well, why haven't they tried so-and-so freshman? And he's thinking, well, if so-and-so would go to class and learn the playbook – and not miss up in practice and lead the team and was in better shape and would drop the weight and take their, you know, every little thing that we're not thinking about that is outside the three hours of football. Thinking that they haven't looked at other options because and have film sessions where they're like, if so-and-so is not going to do this, who else is going to step up? All those other guys are aware of the opportunity there to impress and it should say something to everyone saying oh there's got to be a better option that it hasn't happened yet two seasons now i think some people just want like hey like if this is what you're going to get from delance give me a freshman that will that you know that will make those same mistakes i'd rather you i I mean we yeah yeah i mean the, the situation we know and this is i'm not taking away from let's just put it in perspective last year you had a guy, Chris Blyke, that people destroyed because he played through injury and had three surgeries and there was no better option. And every single week they were saying, there was, you're going to have to play through this, you're going to have to play through this. And he was getting killed on social media because people didn't know the full extent of what he was going through. And they were saying, there's got to be a better option. There's got to be a better option, even though this guy was outplaying everyone in practice despite having limited mobility. Why do they not think the same thing applies to Delance right now? I, I just I don't fully understand how we consistently year in and year out forget about the same implications for previous players and how they could possibly apply to the current situation. Last year, Delance was almost unable to play that Miami game because of his ankle. Was a game time decision. Ends up playing because even at seventy percent, he's the best option at right tackle. And did he improve much throughout the season? Uh, that's outside my pay grade to say. But he came back in camp. The other aspects of everything you saw, the limited spring for other guys having a chance to beat him out, the limited fall for other guys to have put the time in in the weight room, the film room, to take his reps away. This was a year where, healthier, he was going to be the incumbent in a sense. And I don't know if anyone has had the chance necessarily to develop to beat him outside of Ethan White, who I, we all know when it came out and he said that he had knee surgery 
in fall camp and would return at some point during the season. That should have told everyone right then and there that the guys with experience were going to play over freshmen. And yeah, they've played Josh Braun. Stuart Reese has missed games. Brett Heggie has been, you remember how many people used to say that Brett Heggie had injury concerns? He gets in a, a proper weight room and hasn't really missed many snaps. This is a unit. It, look at Stone Forsyth. He was dragged last year. You know, people said he, Stone feet. They made all the type of cheap shots that they could take at him, and he has been. <laughs> I think I think I'm guilty. <laughs> you got to go back and delete some old tweets, man. I, you know, and you're not the only one. So, I totally understand the gripes when they see guys like Stone and Brett Heggie improve on their struggles from last season. They say, "Why? What's wrong with 56?" What's happening to the right side of the line? With the same token, they should realize that the coaching staff is aware of any faults, and they have yet to see someone come in who can provide better stability or play at that position. And unfortunately, fans should probably just realize that before they, uh, yeah, you know, drive away another best case option right now, even though next year, I think there's going to be a better right tackle in the program when you give them a normal year of development and a chance to actually win that job away from a guy who knew the playbook and everything else. All right, a few more tweets to finish this out here. Bull Gator, Riverside uh, LAX 39, need to, need to get way more efficient in, the run, in running the ball. Mullen looks uncomfortable with a big lead, and the run game is nowhere near good enough to put the game away. Defense is still a problem. Team just seems – or teams has looked uncomfortable, unprepared uh, the last two games. The uh, whole thing about, you know, getting the lead, kind of dying it back, working on the run game. That, uh, I do think, you know, you, while you're part of the reason, a small reason that you're not seeing uh, points galore uh, in the second half a little bit is because they are trying to work on things. They are trying to tinker on things. They're still opening up the playbook a bit. I mean, we saw a, a, a Kadarius Tony pass to – Kyle Pitts yesterday for <laughs> so uh you know they're, they're still trying some things opening up the playbook making teams prepare for a whole lot of things out there so I do think you know it's not nowhere it's nowhere near a full excuse but they are they are working on some things uh, I think as well and not just you know letting Kyle Trask you know for fans won't want to because of the Heisman numbers go out there and, and, and go crazy and, and chuck the ball over the field uh, yeah CP, I mean go ahead go ahead go ahead, go ahead. The uh, kind of offensive line thought here from CP3 says, 56 should never see the field again if Dan is serious about competing with Alabama. Moves Stone back to right tackle, garage left tackle, Heggie at center, figure out our guards. I've seen enough of 56 getting beat, ruining drives, and Trask having to anticipate him getting beat on passing downs. Listen, so there bro, it, it, it's not just 56. There's a lot of dudes on Alabama <laughs> that, that people aren't going to be able to compete with. Uh, I'm reading some of the comments, and someone's like, all you have to do is shut down Devonta Smith. He's got 12 touchdowns. No one shut him down. Yeah, um, but Alabama's got too many. they got, they got plenty of Everywhere. Uh, Tim Collins says, uh, here's, a, here's a funny one, guys. Dan needs to yell at Todd before every game now. Um, offense should find their rhythm again soon. Nitpicking, they still played a good game. Pitts is a beast. Special teams was fantastic. Guys, we have glossed over that. Uh, uh, Nick, you did bring it up earlier. Special teams, fantastic. More young guys on defense. Hey, the fake punt, first drive, uh, led to the touchdown, uh, of course. Uh, first Gators touchdown. Also, the the kick return or the punt return was yeah, – I have some good game plan. I don't know if they identified something in what Kentucky does or if they just said, hey, this is going to work no matter who is out there. But Kentucky did help themselves by the whole punt team <laughs> running left and the punt goes right. <laughs> yeah, Mar Mark Stoops said that was just a miss hit. So, that, okay. I mean, that's the Ray Guy Award winner. That's the, that's the an All-American punter. Um, yeah. And toot my own horn, I have a Ray Guy vote, uh, which is probably <laughs> the most prestigious Nick, award. Nick probably hates that guy. The most prestigious award there is in college football, uh, the Ray Guy Award. He's he they do that which I hate that Aussie thing where they run yeah. and they kick while on the run, and the kick was supposed to go left. So Florida had seen that on film, which is why they had Xavier Henderson and um, and K, uh, KT back there, and the whole punt team went left. And Xavier, to his credit, did a good job. He sat there like he was going to catch the ball and, yeah. and kept and kept those guys there. And then Kadarius Tony's like, oh shoot, the kid mishit it. It came to me. 
looks up and there's like two people to beat and he's gone. Yeah, that's one of those awareness things. You know, we, talk, we talked to James Houston. Uh, we talked to all guys throughout the week. And, you know, dating back to the Urban Meyer era, you guys know this, there is this onus on special teams, even though it's kind of the forgotten unit in a sense, even though if your name's not Nick Dilatore, you're, you're not going to be mentioning special teams in every single game. And that's something Florida practiced throughout the week. When you have the Ray Guy Award winner coming in, you have to expect, and you have a couple that with an offense that has really struggled, you know that they're going to punt the ball a good bit, and you're going to have to capitalize on some of those. So Kadarius Tony and Xavier Henderson having the awareness of realizing where the ball is going to come, to which side, whether they should act as a decoy or a returner, and to watch the coverage, you know, that is just elite preparation. And let me say this. This is going to be a little bit of a, a hot take. People say this all the time. Fire Greg Knox. You got to give him credit for all that. He's the guy running those. He is the guy that Mullen trusts to go out there and put special teams in a position to make them that third weapon, in a sense, that Florida can score points on. And whether it's Jacob Finn pinning them inside the eight-yard line, you, you have a coach who – a special teams coach should know, and Nick, may, you know may more, more. You know may more about this than me, but the special teams coach is supposed to know things like wind direction, uh, the temperature, the conditions on the field, and the personnel, the gunners, the punter you're going to be facing. That's on top of their coverage throughout the week. And when you face an opponent like Kentucky, that yeah, maybe losing their missing rusher, but has the ability to beat you on the ground, and you add in that they have a Ray Guy Award winner at, at punter coming in, it makes Greg Knox's job extremely important throughout the week. And when you see them coming out there and, you know, the run game wasn't horrible. Like you said, Dave, you saw some explosive plays there. But when you see them hitting on all three phases in special teams, returns, pinning teams deep, you know, attempting to block kicks, scoring field goals, when you see them doing that consistently, you have to give credit to Greg Knox, yet some people seem to simplify what he brings to Florida down to whether he's convincing 17-year-olds to pledge to the program when they could go elsewhere and then maybe come to Florida later and play for him. They seem to say that that is condemnation-worthy, as if that should get him banished, in a sense, from this Florida program, yet they don't give him the credit when Florida goes out there and turns the tide on special teams, the unit that he's also in control of. All right, last two here to kind of wrap up this whole thing here, Brian Rosen says, I'm not sure where the second half defensive performance came from, but hope it continues. Have no problem with the quote unquote conservative offense in the fourth quarter. We aren't winning in Atlanta without a running game. Let's maybe stop calling design runs for our Heisman quarterback though. And Bobby Glenn says kind of last thought going back, what we just discussed. I thought special teams had a huge impact on the game. Love a coach who was willing to change momentum with a big call. That fake punt took some big ones considering the amount of criticism he would have faced if he had failed. Kadarius Tony's re return sealed the deal. So here we go, guys. Good review. Looking back at the game yesterday versus Kentucky. Um, we'll do it again next week. Uh, I'm kind of surfing on Twitter to see if we could announce the uh, uh, game time for Florida, Tennessee, but SEC still has not announced it yet. So I was looking at it for around one o'clock, but we, we still haven't gotten it yet. So we'll see, see where that one goes, but it will be a cold one in Knoxville next week. One more hot take. One more hot take. You know, one more hot take. This is, this is back to back <laughs> years. And Nick, you can disagree with this. You know, I, I don't know if the, the takes have been hot enough, but this is back to back years now where a Kentucky defensive player has hit Kyle Trask. Is it a culture problem? <laughs> or is the national media? Was this one? Uh, was it? Was it? Was was this one after the? Uh, after the play? Yeah, the Kelvin, the Kelvin Joseph shove, which completely negated a good play by the Wildcats, I believe. Um, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about? Shoved him, and, and Trask falls down. Uh, give him some Oscar consideration for that one. But second time in two years now. So you know, I joke around, but it kind of does give a little bit of credence to the point that I said. You know what Kentucky's going to try and do. You know they're going to try and run the ball, and they're no going to, you know they're going to try and hit Kyle Trask. So, why are you running him like that? I don't know. That's on my pay grade. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. Tennessee next week, guys. So we'll see. Um, 
Nick, are you going? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't booked my flight or hotel yet, but yeah. Okay. Well, pack a coat. Pack a coat. Yeah. <laughs> Several coats. What's the Broadway equi- equivalent in Knoxville? Is it? Oh, they're on Main Street. They've got a nice little downtown area. I, Knoxville is, um, I slept on it, but uh, I think it's been my fourth trip to Knoxville. It's a nice little town. You can have some I fun drove there. to from here to Asheville a few years ago, and Asheville and, and Asheville, North Carolina, and Knoxville are less than Gainesville, Orlando. And you can drive through the mountains and most beautiful drive of your life. And Asheville is beautiful. If you have a chance to go up there, you should. Uh, you should do it, man. I've been, I've been to Asheville. I went, to, I went to college for a year in North Carolina. There Forget we go. how old you are. <laughs> All right. Nick Delatory, Gator Country, find his work there. Graham Hall, Gainesville Sun, find his work there. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm the host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.